this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by Entertainment.com. You've probably heard of the Entertainment Coupon Book. Now, saving is even easier with the Entertainment Digital Membership. With the Digital Membership, you can print coupons online or redeem them right on your phone. Here is how to do it. Get the Digital Membership to Entertainment.com for only 99 cents. Visit SavingOnTheGo.com slash BookRiot. Select your market to see local savings. Choose your membership. It's that easy. Again, SavingOnTheGo.com slash BookRiot. Select your market and choose your membership. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 174. We're recording on Thursday, September 8th. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. As promised, we're hot in the fall, and boy, is there news. There is. There's there, so much news. It's, it's crazy amounts of news. Um, there's stuff uh, I'm a little behind in. That we might even get to this week. We'll have to get to next week um, about Obama maybe writing a novel. That's a tease for next week. Have you seen that link? I was reading it in your This Week in okay, Books yeah, yeah. newsletter, and I was like, what? Yeah. So I don't think we're, we're not prepared to talk about that today because my brain can't handle it. No, I'm but, not ready. Um, I should also mention that um, fall's coming. Also, that means Book Riot Live is right around the corner. Things are heating up there. Go to bookriotlive.com. There's a bunch of programming has been announced. And if you use offer code wheelhouse, that means for listeners from this show, this show and this show alone, use offer code wheelhouse. You get 20 bucks off your ticket. There's Saturday-only t- tickets, Sunday-only tickets, weekend tickets. There's still, some, there's still a few tickets left for the Friday night event at The Strand that's about booze and books. Um, lots of stuff. We're going to do a live recording of this show. Walter Mosley's going to be there. Mara Wilson's going to be there. It's a big deal. Go to bookriotlive.com to check it out. Um, let's do a quick follow-up. I guess, I guess this is follow-up um, just in so far as we've been talking about it. It's not a surprise. You and Liberty called it correctly. Woo! Um, that the next Oprah's Book Club selection is Love Warrior um, by Glennon Doyle Melton. And it is – tell, give me the thumbnail about it. Okay. Yeah. So it is a memoir about uh, – falling apart and putting herself back together. Essentially, she um, became bulimic when she was 10 years old, and then was an alcoholic through her early adult life. This bled into her marriage and her family life. Um, So the book is about the falling apart, but more about recovery, coming home to herself, um, learning to, you know, be whole and take care of herself and then try to put her family back together. She and her husband have a major, uh, like major conflict trauma in their marriage that comes to a head that she uh, writes really like very frankly and bravely about in the book. Um, and then about how they, you know, how they worked to figure out if they were going to stay together, what to do for each other, what to do for their kids. How do you be the best version of yourself um, and prioritize that and also deal with trying to manage relationships in your life? Um, since the book was finished a year ago, you know, in the publishing life cycle, she announced like two weeks ago that she and her husband uh, have decided to separate. And so this is not a how to save your marriage, and it's mm. not even a how I saved my own marriage, um, but very much a book about living in the deering of a, a really difficult, struggly time in life um, and figuring your way out 
through it. I think if you're in, if you like Brene Brown, you're going to like Glennon Doyle Melton. This is less theory and self-help, but still very, uh, it's really inspiring and just a, a really remarkably open story um, that she tells about her life. Interesting. Um, so good job to you guys. Um, Why, thank that you. One out. Um, let's do our first sponsor and we've got, we'll get on to the main stories. PRH Audio is back. You know, one thing, we've talked to a million times before um, about the uses of audiobooks and how they can do different things than reading text can. Um, and one thing PRH Audio wants you to think about is if you're in a book club and you're having trouble reading, get, getting through the books, like that's a common complaint. We hear, you know, mm-hmm. I like my book club, but, you know, it's not the book I would have picked for myself necessarily, so it falls down the priority list of my book club reading or, you know, sometimes book clubs are good for people who won't read on their own necessarily because they don't, you know, they're busy lives, blah, blah, blah. But then audio can help you use those other times in your life that you can fill with reading when you can't do something. You know, the driving is the, I mean, let's be honest. I think driving is sort of the uh, the killer app for audiobooks, right? Yeah. Like commuting and walking your dog and gardening, all that stuff is great. And those are things, but really I, the, the, the niche we fill the best that we really was looking for this. And, and that's what radio did, right? I mean, radio is in the cars, like that's a classic thing. So audio in a car, but what audiobooks let you do is especially, you know, the, the modern technology ecosystem we have around the delivery and performance. We all have our smartphones um, that we can get audiobooks easily. We can get them relatively inexpensively, can get them from a variety of sources, but it might be enough to get you over that book club hump. So that you can finish the the book clubs you're the books you're reading for book club more often. You can enjoy them. You don't feel stressed out about it. You make it part of your daily routine. You know, ten minutes here, ten minutes there. You can get through an audiobook a month or every two months or a quarter, however often your book club um, meets. You can help helps you get through it. So go go to let's see. You go to uh, penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club to get a bunch of ideas. These are picks. Um, also, some recipes if you want to do some cooking recommendations for your book club um, and how to talk, you know, some talking points, um, you know, a suite of tools and information to fill out the book club experience. Um, that's penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. Um, thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Enjoy your book club. I am listening to a Penguin Random House audio title right now. I couldn't be more excited about it. It hooked me 15 minutes in. Um, I rarely pre-order stuff on audio, though this one I did. It's John Le Carré's memoir, The Pigeon Tunnel, mm. um, about his life as a novelist, um, as a former spy, uh, maybe a current spy through all this writing. Um, he's very delicate about it. He says, you know, I- I'm not going to tell you about my spy work. Um, I'm <laughs> going to tell you that it wasn't that interesting, um, that I was junior, but the confidentiality that I agreed to both to the MI. Uh, MI6 and to um, the Secret Service, but most importantly, my comrades and coworkers and sources, that confidentially ex- extends beyond their deaths, beyond their children's lives, beyond my life, beyond my children's lives. Very sort of noble moment, yeah. I thought. Um, but still, all the stuff he can talk about, like he, you know, he's dancing in the street with Yasser Arafat. He's on the front lines against the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. This is not boring. No, he's not boring. I thought Oliver Sacks might be the inter- most interesting man alive, but... Oliver Sacks looks at John Le Carré and says, "Oh my God! Now that guy's <laughs> had an interesting life." Um, and I, I'm it's a it's a long it's twelve hours on audio, which is pretty long for a memoir, but it is riveting stuff. 
uh, really interested in that. So that's from that's PRH Audio too. Yeah, All right. I'm uh, looking at the book club recommendations at penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. And these are all really great, but mm. I will give extra shouts to Syracusa by Delia Efron. That's yeah. a great, like juicy sort of, so- not quite soapy, but it's a good juicy. It was a great summer read and it would be really fun for a book club. There's a lot to chew on. It's there in Italy, right? Marriage. Yes. A uh, lot to chew on about marriage and secrets and, uh, Good makes for good reading and also, you know, pour a couple of glasses of wine and, and talk about it. Um, let's do some news. But first, uh, before newsy news, this is, you know, news that also benefits us because it's about our awesome contributors. Yes. But um, Justina Ireland and Troy Wiggins, who are two of our great Book Riot contributors are launching, along with uh, some other folks, a new literary magazine dedicated to black speculative fiction called FIA. F-I-Y-A-H. You can go to FIALitMag.com to check it out and read all about why this is important, um, what this new golden age of science fiction is all about. The literary magazine will look at intersectional issues of equality through the lens of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, the site that they're running already has a great blog and sort of a um, a look at what's going on in Black specula- speculative fiction right now and also the very storied past of it. Um, and they're taking submissions because literary magazine and also conducting a state of Black spec fic survey. So if you are a writer and you are uh, involved in the Black speculative fiction work, they want to hear from you and about who you are and what your experiences have been like. So you can check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes to it. Congratulations to them. Consider this to be my confetti cannons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if they, I don't know. I, I haven't read, we may have to get them on to do a special yeah, interview segment great. with them about that. It came in the wake, and I don't know if it's a direct causal relationship, um, the study um, about black authorship and, and um, appearances in sci-fi mm-hmm. and fantasy magazines. Um, I don't know if it's a direct response to that. I don't know if it was a catalyst, not a cause. You know, maybe it's something they were yeah. thinking about doing anyway. It's like, you know what, there's some juice about this. Um, let's get it f- fired up. <clears throat> Um, uh, so yeah, <laughs> oh, Fia, F-I-Y-A-H litmag.com. You can go check it out there. Uh, I'm sure if you just Google search for Fia litmag, it's probably the yep. only result there. A little sad news to report. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how to say her name exactly. I think it's Dudney, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Anna Dudney, who is most famous for her, um, children's books, Baby Llamas. The Llama Llama. Uh, toddler centric p- picture books. So, you know, two, three, four year olds. Um, died this week after a 15-month battle with brain cancer. She was 50 years old. Um, a lot of outpouring of sympathy and sadness. Um, you know, people didn't know her, but they loved her books. Um, too young to go. Yep. Too young to go. So there's that news for you as well. Um, oh wanna, boy, there's a million we, ways to let's go, go to, here. Let's go to numbers. Yeah, I think this, you know... This is the big study of the year for it us. It is the one. This and Vita, I think we get into yep. the most. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Pew Research, the Pew Research Center's annual book reading survey. You know, what are Americans reading? How are they reading it? What formats? Um, what volume? Yeah. Gold um, standard. The top line story is pretty much the same. Yep. Last year. Did anything jump out to you here? You know, nothing jumped out. In terms of change, these numbers seem pretty consistent, but I guess that's an interesting story yep. 
in and of itself, um, that the narrative in publishing has been back and forth in the last several years. But the total percentage of Americans who read a book in the last year, um, and this study is a nationally representative poll of just a little more than 1500 Americans, Mm -hmm. um, 73% have read a book in the last year that is basically unchanged since 2012, when it was 74%. It is down from the 2011 number of 79%. But in the last five years, basically, four years, five years, the number of Americans reading at least one book um, has not changed, which I think is remarkable given the stories that we hear in media about um, all the other things that are competing Mm -hmm. with readers' attention, um, and especially how much the internet has developed and become more central to our lives since 2012. Um, There are many more options to compete with reading, but it seems that reading is holding its own. Um, Of those 73, 65% have read a book in print in the last year, 28% have read an ebook, and 14% have read an audiobook. Um, and the fact that ebooks are twice as popular as audio and that audio's raw number is so low is really interesting to me. There's so much ceiling there. Like we've been hearing yeah. about the the booming growth in audiobooks the last couple of years, which is possible because there's a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. 86% of Americans did not listen to an audiobook. The number the there year. I'm most surprised by is the relative lack of change since 2011 in audiobook yeah. listenership. Yes. Oh, 11% to 14% in five years. I mean, it is, uh, you know, the, the absolute number is only 3%. The relative mm-hmm. number is 25, 30%, yeah. which is, you know, that's growth and bigger than anything save, well, ebooks. Ebooks have grown faster. Since 2011, though they've they've I mean, ebooks are uh, audiobooks and ebooks are flat over the last two years. Mm-hmm. In ebooks, that's the narrative that's sort of circulating out there. What we're, what's weird is that audiobooks are flat, and yet the popular narrative that's out there is that yeah. audiobooks are on the rise. So yeah, I think what's happening the, the only the only thing that makes sense to me if both those things are true, which I mean I'm going to assume they are for the moment that you know publishers aren't lying or this studio. Pew study isn't represent isn't is flawed in some way, is that while the number of people who've listened to one is unchanged, the the number of people that listen to more than you know the average number of people the average number of audiobooks someone who's an audiobook listener has mm-hmm. listened to has gone way up. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, we we can see here in the numbers that the audiobook listenership is not getting any wider, but yes. I would think it's getting much deeper. Yes, I mean, I use myself as an example. Mm-hmm. I've gone from. Uh, was I listening to an audiobook? I guess I probably, I don't know when my real audiobook um, listening seriously took off, but I've gone from zero to 30. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm 30 by myself. And, and that's just, that might be low to be, to be honest yeah. at this point. I was so going to say that sounds I, actually kind of low for you. So I think maybe what's happening is this just listen to one number is flat. But if you do listen to one, you know, if you, get, if you can mm-hmm. get to one, then there's much more on top of that. And that, yeah. that bears out in this other weird number that they have that is maybe, you know, I think the most interesting part is that the average American read, read 12 books last year, mm-hmm. but the median number is four. Yeah. Which, um, for those of you who haven't had, uh, you know, basic, was this, I guess just it, yeah, it algebra, statistics. statistics, whatever. I don't remember when exactly we got this. But the, the average is, you know, if you took all the books read and divided them by the number of people that's average, the median is the midpoint. So 50% of people read more than four books, 50% of people read, I guess, four or more. Actually, if the median is four, I guess you read more than four is 50% and less 
less than four mm-hmm. is fifty percent. So that suggests you know it's the the average is triple. So it's very top heavy. Yeah. Right? There's going to be a long tail of people that didn't read anything. And as we can see from this, twenty let's see, a red book in any format, the twenty seven percent of people read read Bupkis. Yep. So that 73% um, is is really weighted. I would be curious to see, and I don't think they have it broken out in charts, like what is the mode? You know, what's the most frequent, you yeah, know, what's the it, most frequent number? Um, it's probably, is it, it 27% read zero? That might be the mode, actually. That might be the mode. Um, it's interesting that average also is really skewed by women's reading. Yes. Um, women on average read 15 books in the last year and men read nine. So mm-hmm. we're getting, I mean, that 12, you know, lives right in between 15 and nine, but the women are driving that number up. Yep. Um, and that does support one of the popular narratives that women are, you know, buying and reading the most books that women drive publishing mm-hmm. that um, sort of even ties back to some of the essays that we got, I think last year, maybe earlier this year about uh, different writers feeling that they need to pander to different kinds of audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one of those audiences is sort of like the um, pumpkin spice loving suburban, you know, soccer mom. Yeah. Um, there may be some truth to, to that given uh, women's driving of, the market. The here. sort of I, the eat, pray, love set. I mean, and I don't mean that as a yeah. slam at all. Just like it's centered around women's stories. It's about it's by a woman. It's about a woman. It's about a woman of a certain class and of a certain age. Um, and, and no besmirchment of that, but it is it is a it is a segment unto itself that a lot of people are trying to hit. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting to know. Let's see in the racial and age breakdowns. Um, Eighteen to twenty nine year olds uh, in the in the in the age breakdown read the most. Read a book in any format, 80% read at least yep. one book. Um, as we've said before, I think we've done this every time we said the college is thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Who knows how much that skews that. But for the people that m- are probably not in college, it declines with age. 30 to 49-year-olds, 73%. So that's bang on the middle. Um, yep. Then 50 to 64-year-olds read 70, 70% of them read. And then 65 years or older, 67%. Ebook usage um, scales very similarly. Um, listen to an audiobook. You know, when I was a kid, audiobooks were like an old person's thing. But 16% of 18 to 29 year olds um, listened to an audiobook last year, and that's the highest number. Um, and I don't think you're listening to audiobooks in college these days. So I could be wrong about that. I was thinking about this when hmm. I was, you know, if you if you have someone who's in college, or you yourself are in college, or a teacher, and audiobooks as a thing that people do in college, I'd be curious to hear about that. Um, let me see audiobooks. You know, uh, in terms of listening to an audiobook, College Plus, 20% of people who have been to college, 86% of people who have some college at least, or no, I'm sorry, have graduated from college. Um, 86% of those people read a book last year, um, $75,000 and above, 81% in the top bracket, below $30,000, 65%. Um, not surprisingly, I think the, you know, they break out white, black, and Hispanic in the racial demographics. Unsurprisingly, um, is just because the number of Spanish language books that aren't available readily in the U.S., um, 58% of Hispanic people report having read at least one book last year, white 76, black non-Hispanic um, 69%. Uh, let's see, what for else the, you want to uh, do here? You know, the age group stuff I think is interesting, and the reading for work and school 
certainly affects the numbers in the 18 to 29 Mm -hmm. bracket, but there's a, they break it out for reading for pleasure also and keeping reading to keep up with current events, reading to research specific topics of interest. And the 18 to 29 year olds lead the way on reading for pleasure in the last year as well. Eight with 83%, um, 30 to 49 year olds, 78% of them had read for pleasure. Uh, 50 to 64 year olds, 81% had read for pleasure. And then of people 65 and up 80% Mm -hmm. um, had read for pleasure in the last year. So there's more than that school confounding factor going on Yes, uh, with the kids being all right. Um, Also, there's a note that the overall number of people, the the overall percentage of people who are reading to research specific topics Mm -hmm. of interest um, is increasing. And I think that's really interesting. I was sort of noodling over why. And like, I think the like, you know, recency skewed story that I want to tell myself about it is like, well, the world is more complex Mm. than it's ever been before. And there are more things to discover, Mm. which I think is certainly true for science and technology. Um, But what's going on with more people going into books to research topics of interest rather than going to the internet to research topics of interest? I have no idea, but I I think that's really interesting. I guess it, you know, I have very little evidence except for um, wildly idiosyncratic anecdata for this. But I think one thing that has happened um, in nonfiction maybe especially is a fragmentation of interest. Like you don't get a whole lot of big general interest nonfiction books, but there's a lot of nonfiction, a lot of subtopics and niche topics. So I can go read you know, uh, a whole book about – I'm just trying to think of a, an example. Uh, oh, this this book I read called The Only Rule Is to Work – that's about these two baseball prospectus writers that got the in charge of an independent baseball team for a year to drive right on analytics. Very, it's not just about baseball, but it's about baseball and numbers and journalism and blah blah blah. Um, and that's a specific interest. That's easy. Things are easier to find maybe than they used to mm-hmm. be. Um, the internet allows you to do more research to decide on what you're going to read rather than going into a bookstore and having the gatekeeping effect of just what's out on tables or what's out on the shelves there. That's, you know, a possible, um, a possible enabling effect that lets people read more about their specific interest. Um, interesting data here about people reading on cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, they yeah, note that, that tablet, uh, and cell phone reading is steady to rising, uh, where dedicated e-reading is collapsing. Um, and, you know, the, the more men than women read on their cell phone, which is interesting, especially is when you just, yeah. we just you, as you just said, more women than men read. Um, also, black people read more on their cell phone than white or Hispanic people. Um, younger people, and this, is, this one really has a, um, I guess, left-hand side of the bell curve heavy if left-hand is the younger people. 22% of 18 to 29-year-olds read on their cell phone, and only 4% of 65 or older folks, um, 9% of people aged 50 to 64. Yeah. Um, let's see, the other one that they're also, it's it's much more spread out in terms of uh, income. 10% of people less than, that make less than 30,000, 10, 16, 18, 17. So very much, much flatter all the yeah. way around. The ebook, are the, the e-reader numbers staying stable is the thing that I find most interesting slash confusing about this. Like in 2011, 7% of US adults mm. had read an ebook using a dedicated e-reader. And in 2016, 
8% hmm. had. I would love to see, they don't have a chart here, but I would like to see a chart of the years in between. Like, did it spike above 8 ever? Because it was 7 in, 7% in 2011. It was 8% in 2016. Did it spike up as ebook, you know, as dedicated e-readers sort of had a moment? Or was that 7% like the biggest moment, really? I can't believe that this number is a holding steady that like with tablets rising the way they have, and especially smartphones um, becoming, you know, so integral to how we all function and use technology <laughs> in yeah. our lives that there are still that, that the number of people using dedicated e-readers stays the same. I really thought that we would see that dropping. Hmm. Yeah. I, I said collapsing, but I guess what I was just meaning is that's not keeping up. It's yeah, not keeping yeah, yeah. up with some of the other categories. Yeah, it's fascinating that it's not that it's not dead. Yeah, yeah, it's not dead. It's not dead. It's just there's nowhere to go um, with that. So, you know, the story I think, as we said when we talked about the story, is I to me is resilience. I think that's mm-hmm. the story um, f- f- that I take away from it. Other than that, it's hard to parse. I think, you know, the cell phone as a reading device, it makes sense, right? If you don't have mm-hmm. as much money, um, almost everyone has a, a smartphone penetration. In the U.S. is like in the high 80% is my understanding. Um, and so that if you have a digital reader. And for people buying a tablet or a dedicated e-reading device, you got to have more money to devote to yep. that. Um, you know, we, I think a lot of people across demographics um, and income brackets – Think of a smartphone as a utility like a car or your electricity. So you're just going to have one. Um, so ebooks can piggyback on that. And they don't. Speaking of ebooks, just one last thing I thought was interesting. They don't have a year over year or over time um, comparative number for this. But the number of people who only read digital, I thought, was an interesting number. Yeah, that is six percent of mm-hmm. uh, of people report reading only digital. Twenty six percent read both print and digital. Thirty eight percent read only print. Um, and again, that's a number I'd like to, you know, if they have it, and maybe they just haven't asked that question before over the last five years, is that what, what has changed? Does that, mm-hmm. Has that six gone from two to six, from eight to six? Has that read print only gone up, down? I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but that only 6% of the population is reading only digital books. I'd like to know about that small slice of the pie. Who are those people? Uh, my My guess is that they... Are genre readers? Yeah, um, that's romance, baby. or that read a lot, and or read a lot of indie or self published stuff, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, or that just like the convenience. Maybe you live in a rural place, mm-hmm. maybe you travel a lot, um, something else like that. Yeah, this. Uh, let's see. I think you're right. The overall story here is sort of a story of bouncing back, which we've been seeing the last several years. Publishing has not been doomed. And we can see here the kids are all right. They've been all right. Mm-hmm. Um, the young people are reading. Sort of the only headline that I've seen come out around this, The uh, this study sort of reliably produces two kinds of headlines in publishing. And one is like, how much does the average American read, which is interesting. And mm-hmm. you can pull that data here. And the other is an inevitable assigning of value to print versus yeah. digital. And so I've, I, you know, I was sort of rolling my eyes on Twitter earlier this week about like, please sit down before you take this Pew study and turn it into a like, yay, Fit my people. narrative situation. Right. Yeah. It's like, yay, th- 38% of people read only print. And that's better than the people who read only digital or better than the people who mix formats. And I want I just, you know, want us to get past that, like, if your reading format is morally neutral. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's important to have the conversation about how the celebration of like the success of print uh, ignores the fact that 
that is an ableist and access driven. Oh, I've got so, a rant to know. me about ebook pricing and this whole. Narrative. Oh yeah, oh, oh, I, yeah. Am, I saw your. I'm, I, I am rarely. I might write about it for the site, but <laughs> I saw you winding up on Twitter last night about how ebook pricing and paperbacks. It's it's uh, a scan. It's scandalously. Oh boy. Uh, I gotta <laughs> sit, I, down, I, sit down. Sit the, down. I, I won't. I won't. Um, I won't go too much into it here. But I was. I don't remember why. I was looking for the. Brief Wondrous Life, Life of Oscar Wow. And my, my print copy is down in a box somewhere. And I was going to pull out, I was thinking about rereading it. And so this I went on like Amazon to look. Mm-hmm. And the print version, uh, paperback, $9.52. All right. The Kindle version is 12 Don't bucks. Don't tell me. No. And I was like, what in the, that, that makes no, I am amenable to the argument that ebooks are not as cheap to make as sort of, you might just think from the outside, right? Like it's just text, sure. blah, blah, it's blah. It's not just a file. I'm whatever. amenable to, it shouldn't be $4. I, I got it. I've looked at breakdowns. I am here. I understand business and overhead and health insurance for employees. And whole, but it does not need to be 25% more expensive more than the paperback. On it, I mean, what? Ha, how did we get to this situation? I just, it makes no <laughs> sense. And I don't care whose fault it is. I don't care how it happens. But it is ludicrous. It, and it's, I think it's terrible for consumers. Yeah. When when I was having my moment about let's not celebrate that print is more popular than other things, like, people were sort of chiming in on Twitter and saying, like, we have to remember it's not just a, like I was talking about the ableism argument there, that there are people for whom audiobooks and ebooks give them access yes. to reading that they don't have access to because of visual impairments or other disabilities. Ebooks and audiobooks provide Absolutely. alternative access that's important. Also, access that's limited geographically. Yep. There are places that don't have bookstores and that don't have great library systems. And we've probably, I know you and I have heard, I think many people listening to this show have probably heard stories from other readers who grew up in rural areas and wouldn't have had access to books if not for like the bookmobile. Mm-hmm. And ebooks solve that problem. Ebooks solve the problem of access to reading in the developing world. Wattpad is like the most popular source of reading content in many countries of the developing world because you can access it digitally and there's not infrastructure required for print books and penalizing readers who either want or need to access their reading material digitally just is bonkers to me. So I don't know. I'll I'll write, I think I will write something because I've got some thinking to do about it. But I think one thing that's happened is in the wake of the DOJ settlement about Amazon and colluding and price fixing, somehow we've gotten to this point where actually the, the price of ebooks have gone up of their own accord. In, and I'm using all the air quotes in the world right now about this. <laughs> um, I can hear that, verbal air quotes. And I'm not, you know, this, look at the resilience of print. Look how, you know, it's, it's holding steady. Digital is declining. It's like, you know... Eh. It's like if I price an apples and oranges and the apples are 50% more, you can't say, look how well oranges are selling. Like that doesn't, you can't do that. You can't throw up your hands and and have a party for how well print is doing when you've kneecapped ebooks by making them more expensive. It just makes no sense. It's an intentionally confounding factor. Yeah. They're trying to, and publishing is trying to protect print, rightly or wrongly. I think in the long term, it's short-sighted, though I understand why they're doing it now. You know, if, if I saw them like, you know, basically trying to protect print sales to make money, to do experiments, they do other things. It's absurd that a hardcover, you know, a book that's out in hard, like uh, the, the Underground Railroad, fourteen ninety nine in Kindle. Okay, well, you know what? It's only available in hardback right now. On Amazon, you got to pay 19 20 bucks to get it. You get a $5 discount to buy an ebook. 
Still seems high to me, but at least it's not nonsensical. But for the life of me, I don't understand when basically the price of the print copy goes down almost 50% when it goes to paperback. Mm-hmm. The price of the, the ebook goes down $2. And you're talking about Oscar It makes Wilde. no sense. You're talking about a backlist title that's been out for, what, like a decade? Yeah, Brief Wonders Live Oscar Wilde, I think, came out in 2003, 2005. I'm not exactly sure um, right there. And, I, and I, did, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just that title. So I looked at things, you know, these big... Uh, big the, these significant literary fiction hits like the things that I know so I looked at the 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 Tiger's Wife remember that book that came mm-hmm. out oh yeah yeah same mm-hmm. it was ten bucks in print and eleven ninety nine in Kindle which that is interesting because no one is still talking about that book well, that, the way that people are yeah. still talking about Oscar Wilde well that's what I because th- that's what I thought I was like well maybe people are still buying it so you don't need to d- you don't need to cut the price like people are going to buy it or they're not so like I, I just am not so sure about this and I think what the, was happening is that they're providing a lot of room. For independent and self-published authors in Wattpad to come in underneath because they're keeping the prices super high. Because if I can buy a romance title or maybe, you know, I, or some read on Wattpad for a dollar or two dollars or, or Wattpad's free, I guess, most of the time. But if I can get a self-published book for a couple bucks, boy, I've got it. The book I'm buying, especially if I'm, you know, price conscious, most people are, it's got to be a lot better to spell 12, six times as much, five, mm-hmm. six times as much. And then the other thing that drives me nuts, is then we get discounting down to two bucks for ebooks sometimes. Like you can't really have it both ways. You can't say the ebooks cost a million dollars to print and we can't charge. And then you've got deals on BookBub and on BookRite deals I find them too that I, you can buy uh, uh, you can buy it for two bucks. It just makes no sense. Like which is it? Is it cheap or is it expensive? Like I, I don't get it. <laughs> You're going to have a conniption. I just think it's user hostile. I think it's I incoherent and just it doesn't feel like a responsible. There's no there's no intelligent thinking going on behind it or something got out of control. Maybe maybe Amazon's just discounting paperbacks with an inch of their life. You know, mm-hmm. and maybe something there's price pressures come down from there. But I don't understand why a, a 10-year-old ebook is 12 bucks on Kindle. No, I, that makes no. zero sense to me. Um, all the proofreading has been paid for. The cover design has been paid for. There's no more marketing dollars being spent into it. You don't have to warehouse or ship the book. Like, make it eight bucks. Make it seven ninety nine. Yep. Like, I'm not asking for a few dollars. I don't. I don't think that makes sense. But like, if the print book and print, you know, it costs. This is another scandal about publishing is how cheap it is to print a book. Like, put mm-hmm. that aside for a minute. Like, a, a, a paperback is what. 90 cents to print a good quality paperback if you're doing five, ten thousand at a time. Like, let's be honest about this for a second. The markup on, you know, and I get there's copy editing and people's dogs and healthcare and all the things <laughs> that go into supporting publishing. But, but the, but the, but the markup of a paperback if you pay retail is a scandal that is absurd. <laughs> I, I, I'm right about this. I'm not wrong about this. <laughs> you are not wrong. I just don't even know what to do right yeah, now. Yeah, there's no. I, I've had it, it just <laughs> spilling out into me, but it's so frustrating. It's just so frustrating. And, and the other thing is, there apparently there's no way to price a book between one ninety nine and fourteen ninety nine in ebooks. Apparently, it, not. yeah. Like if there's some some publishers do it, especially you know non. I'm look. I'm talking about big time. You know, books that appear that are on paperback favorites at Barnes & Noble, right? You know, that have won Pulitzer Prizes. These are big backlist titles that make a lot of money. Why in the world? It just boggles my mind. And so, you know what happened? I didn't buy either the paperback book or the ebook of Brief Wonders because I was so mad about it. Yep. Because I was like, you know what? Screw all. This is terrible. I'm going back downstairs. I also think that keeping the high prices of ebooks 
incentivizes people to deal with terrible overdrive interfaces to their library. Oh, it does. And then it doesn't incentivize overdrive to make their interface any better. No, because you know what? Our stuff is so much cheaper that they can jump through our terrible flaming hoops, hoops of UX disaster. That's a show title. <laughs> so anyway. This is the great O'Neill conniption of 2016. It is. It's, just, it's justified. It this just is a makes me crazy. Conniption. It makes me absolutely crazy. It's like, we have ebooks. They're useful. We found that there's a niche for them. They're not going to take over the industry. So let's kneecap them and make them user yeah. hostile and really not do anything interesting you know, at all. I just went to look when you mentioned those, you know, paperback fiction tables at yeah. um, Barnes and Noble. I went to check because uh, Gilead is always my there first you go. example. Great example of that. Because I discovered Gilead on a Barnes and yep. Noble paperback um, table. It did win the Pulitzer uh, for fiction. It came out in two thousand. The paperback came out in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it was originally published in two thousand four. She won the Pulitzer in two thousand four. The paperback, the list price is sixteen dollars. The Amazon price is nine fifty two. Oh, that's just that. That's a that is uh, that is disaster. The Kindle edition is nine ninety nine. That is just a disaster for a twelve year old. Like this is, I can kind of see the argument here because mm. it's still popular. The Handmaid's it's, Tale. Margaret people Atwood. are still reading this. Yes. Okay. Eight bucks. Look at seven ninety five in paperback. Nine ninety nine. No. Kindle. No. Curious Sense of the you Dog know, of the Nighttime. Eight but, oh, eight eighty nine in paperback. Kindle is Kindle edition is eleven you know, ninety nine. I think that there's some stuff going on with Amazon here. Like I just looked up The Handmaid's Tale right now, mm. and if you have Kindle Unlimited, the Kindle edition of this book is zero dollars. Yeah, if you have Kindle it's Unlimited, it's free right uh, now. So Amazon is playing with things, trying to incentivize geek love. using Kindle. Catherine Dunn. Oh, yeah, paperback mm-hmm. ten bucks. Kindle edition eleven. Uh, it may. It may no. I don't know. Man. I am almost finished with Geek Love, by the way, and that shiz is crazy. Oh my god. No Way one ahead told of its time. me. So ahead no of its time. No one told me. I was unprepared. Yeah. Like, I just heard this is a great Wait, book like that it? everyone loves. I'm yeah, I do uh, like it. Okay. It's just a bananas reading experience. Mm-hmm. Like I've been sort of reading through it of, uh, since I got back from Portland a month ago because mm-hmm. I just can't. It's so like every chapter I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We got to go. We, yeah, okay, we're talking about sponsor. money. Get a, we got to talk about some discounting that makes there sense you go. Hey, well to done. people. Would you look at that? Uh, we've all heard, I think, of the entertainment coupon books. I grew up with them. Um, yep, I you did know, too. You, you would you would buy the coupon book and then you would get discounts on a bunch of stuff in your local area. This is the coupon book for the digital age. You can get hundreds of coupons for local restaurants, shopping, attractions, the zoo to play golf, movie tickets, travel, whatever. Entertainment.com now has a digital membership as well, so you can print coupons online or redeem them right on your phone. Gotta love that. It'll let you save up to 50% on things that you do every day. The Entertainment Coupon app is packed with thousands of dollars worth of savings. You can save locally, and with the app, you can save when you're traveling, so it's not like just buying the coupon book that's only good in your hometown. Wherever you go, you can access coupons nationwide, so your membership quickly pays for itself. A quick search for me in Richmond shows me I can get discounts at the Children's Museum, which is a great place to take kids, nieces and nephews, at the Edgar Allan Poe Museum, which does a thing where they serve cocktails and um, 
read poetry and have the unhappy hour, mm. which I highly recommend you attend. City Dogs, Segway of Richmond, uh, the Valentine History Museum. On um, If you want to attend VCU baseball and women's basketball games, you can get discounts on that. A bunch of great restaurants. That's just one of the neighborhoods that's available in Richmond. There's more than half a dozen listed here. If you live in a bigger city, there will be even more. This is definitely worth checking out. Um, to purchase your membership, to get your entertainment digital membership for only 99 cents, just go to savingonthego.com slash bookriot. You select your market that'll show you local savings and then you choose the membership option that you want. It's that mm. easy. 99 cents for your digital membership. Savingonthego.com slash bookriot. Thanks to them for sponsoring. I will be eager to hear about the things that you guys all save money yeah, on. Yeah, totally. Actually, yeah, I, I need to look at that for Portland because you, you've got kids or you've yeah. got people in town and it's expensive to go like, you know, grandparents, adults and kids all together to go to something. You know, uh, to the aquarium or zoo, but if you can catch a break, um, mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier. And especially you're relatively new to Portland yeah. still, I guess. You know, within a year, so there's a lot to be discovered that you can you can save money on. Speaking of money, now, one second. Underground Railroad hardcover sixteen seventeen <laughs> to buy on Amazon. Uh, the Kindle Don't is thirteen ninety nine. No, so it's only a couple bucks. <laughs> You're just going to be sitting over there looking up book prices for the rest of this show, aren't well, you? It, it just... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes is the answer. The money they make off hardcovers. There should Those be an investigation. Those are some margins. There should be. Well, look, I, I, it's actually the, the hardback to paperback declination over, you know, for the 20th century in the U.S. Has, is an, has, was an elegant solution, right? Mm-hmm. It, premium edition to people who want to buy it first. And yep. then you make, um, you know, how it's gone is you, then there's a trade paperback. And if it really sells well, eventually there's a mass market paperback. And again, every genre is different. And, you know, some of these things go right to mass market, blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about the books that I read. Um, but the ebook situation is just, just completely, you know, that we don't have bundling and you got to pay full, you know, that we still haven't figured out that it, if I wanted to throw down 25, I'd love to throw down 25 bucks for the Underground Railroad and get a hardcover ebook and an audio version. I mean, that, yes. that feels like the way of the future. I, and that we have all these weird competing interests and we're trying to protect print. I mean, if people really like that print that much, it doesn't need protecting, right? I mean, right. I, if it's really about how much people like the smell of books in their faces and their hands and how great deckled edges are and French <laughs> flaps are basically erotic, then we don't need then we don't need to protect them. I just killed Rebecca. Killed her. <laughs> I just killed her. I'm dead. That's it. That's it. I'm dead. You We've had what? a nice Since run here, but now I'm talking to a corpse. Since we're feeling shouty, yeah. let's just keep feeling yeah, let's shouty. Because feel I am with you that publishing needs to spend some money on some actual interesting experiments. Mm. And let us... Book I would shout? Like to sh- Are we going to book yes, shout? Yes, okay, we're going to we shout go. about this. Book shout is this... It's an ebook startup. Yep. It started out as an app that would let you import your Kindle and Nook libraries to read on a different app for reasons that are still beyond yeah, right. my grasp. If you have a bigger um, bucket, just make a bigger bucket. Yeah, to put your little then they... Pivoted, mm-hmm. so take a shot now um, to bulk ebook distribution. And I think we first heard about them and first talked about them when Harper Collins partnered with Bookshout to deliver when they were experimenting with bundling. Because I remember yelling on that episode about like you're experimenting with bundling in a handful of indie bookstores with a handful of titles, and you're not going to get any good data because people have to download a separate ebook app that they've never heard of before to access their bundled. Title. So Bookshout Now has partnered with T-Mobile 
um, to deliver 237,000, which is a weird number. Why? Ebooks to people for free as part of T Mobile Tuesdays. Maybe I don't they would know give away as is. many as they could. And that's the number Maybe they so. gave away. Um, the promotion occurred over two separate days and it resulted in customers reading more than 97 million words. That's a that's a stupid. This that's whole a stupid story metric. is so weird. So they also distributed. Is uh, anyone impressed about giving away <laughs> free stuff? Hey, we gave away free stuff. And there was a bunch. Uh, also, what is that? That's nothing. Like, here the here's the free stuff. One hundred and eleven thousand ebooks of Claudia Cochina's A Taste of Mexico. Yeah. Um, which cookbooks on your phone are like, that's a tough game already because yeah. you're scrolling on your device trying to figure out what to do and also like to not get sour cream on your phone, which is a thing that I have experienced. Um, and then the other 127,000 were for the Vacation Reads program, which allowed customers to choose from one of 10 best selling HarperCollins ebooks for a beach read. Mm. So, like, here's a free beach read from HarperCollins. Like, this is. Whatever. This is so boring. So boring. Uh, and, yeah, and uh, I mean, HarperCollins, so, God love them. But, you, like, they try it. They, they've agreed. Let's try it. Let's see what's going have, on. They have, yes. They have tried the things. But like Bookshout, I just like. Not a thing. So um, I just looked up that T-Mobile has 8.3 million subscribers in the U.S. This doesn't say if this is U.S. only or not. I'm assuming it is mm-hmm. for now. So that means if 237,000 ebooks were downloaded, let's assume each of those is a unique download, like you know, which sure. I don't think is reasonable. User. That means 2.8% of T-Mobile's customers did this. I, you know, I, I, th- that's not even worth the, the fake paper the press release is printed <laughs> on. Boy, I'm upset. Well, and also, like... Okay, so you distributed free copies of best-selling titles, but how do you get any measure of whether this worked? Like, we got 237,000 people to put one of our books on their phones, but, like, there's no – what happens after that is a black box. There's not even the hand-waving of, like, and then after this, this Mm -hmm. many people added it to Goodreads or this many people reviewed it on Amazon or they bought a thing. Like, I – Yeah, you know what what I've – and um, Mike Shatskin wrote a really nice long piece. Uh, I want to have him on an interview too. Interesting guy about you know one of the reasons you know I've I've wondered why are they why do they do this down pricing of ebooks because I think mm. if they sell a copy of a ebook for a dollar ninety nine a publisher's losing money they got to pay royalties yeah. and things like that so why are they doing it and the one that, the one that makes sense to me is you know if there's a new book by an author coming out it's a way to promote that author so you mm-hmm. know. You make Sag Harbor a dollar ninety nine, which they didn't do, but they should have. But anyway, to promote, you know, people getting ready for the Underground Railroad or our first of a series, right? Here, kid, the first yeah. one's almost free kind of right. situation. But those standalone ones are the ones I don't understand. And what he said was that what they do is they they make it cheap for a day or a week or a month, and then the mere exposure effect of people reading and talking about it, rating on Goodreads, talking about it, it appearing high up. In the Kindle lists, mm. then when that cheap price goes away and it's you know seven hundred dollars and ninety nine cents, when the pricing goes away, some people will buy it then because just that sure. they see it at the top of the list. So it's like you artificially inflate its rankings and its exposure, and then you try to catch people buying at full price, sort of on the way down from that bubble of exposure. Which 
I mean, I guess that's that's why you do this. And maybe they're thinking, and so this is a long way to say, maybe that's what thinking, HarperCollins is thinking here. We'll give away some of these for free. It will promote these titles and authors so that the next time they have a book coming out or when, you know, someone there, someone who's on T-Mobile talked to someone about reading this great Mexican cookbook, they'll go buy it at their independent bookstore for 29 I, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, that must be the logic yeah. there. And I kind of get it. It's like, you know, if you only do Taco Tuesdays at your local Mexican joint and that's what they advertise on the radio and you're constantly hearing about Taco Tuesdays, but you can't go on Tuesday, yeah. you're going to think about maybe I want tacos on Wednesday and show up and pay full price. Like, I I get that from the Mira exposure mm-hmm. thing. The bookshelf piece is the thing that like no. really chaps my cheeks about this. Like, we've gotten excited about HarperCollins over the years conducting really interesting digital experiments and seeing what works with reach, reaching e-books book readers and seeing what works with growing their audiences. But I just, for the life of me, do not understand partnering with, like, I get it that it's not Amazon and so they can appear neutral by partnering with Bookshout, but you're not going to get any like real interesting data when you're partnering with an app or an ebook delivery service that is not what readers are predominantly using. I mean... I guess uh, I'm uninclined to be generous in my current mood, but I'm saying let's say, let's say for whatever reason you decided to do this. Like, what could you? I guess uh, one thing would be they have ten free eBooks. Which one gets downloaded the most? Right? Sure. There's no pricing pressure involved. There's maybe there are things that aren't even. I guess it says bestsellers. I was wondering if there's any sort of publicity different. I mean, for a debut author or something like that. Um, I, mean, I guess, I guess that's the, one. This is just a raw. Like, which one of these is more attractive mm-hmm. to this lab group of lab rats downloading? The it inverse free? could be: these are the ten that we have invested the most money in marketing, maybe. and so we need to show the highest distribution yeah, for. Maybe could be that too. Um, um, anyway, so there's the <laughs> I, no, so let's do one more story. Let's do let's, let's end with something positive we, here. Yeah, New Hampshire librarians. About, yes, that's where I so wanted to go. Let's do it. We get one of these about it seems like about a year, a story somewhat similar to this. Um, mm-hmm. Always warms the heart. Um, Robert Morin, who died, let's see, this week at 77, was a librarian at the University of New Hampshire for 50 years. Um, and he lived humbly. And like, saved money. He drove an old car. He didn't go out. He ate frozen dinners. Yeah, um, and left his estate, which amounted to four million dollars. Four million dollars. Four million to the University of New Hampshire Library. Um, entire estate dedicated a hundred thousand specifically to the Dime, the Demond Library. I don't know. It's named after someone. Um, his whole life was the library. Um, yeah. So extraordinary gift. Um, his financial advi- he did have a financial advisor. He didn't really spend much and lived a life without frills. Never went out, drove an older vehicle. Um, he enjoyed talking to students on campus, especially the students who worked in the library. He was very smart and very quiet. So Robert Morin, fare thee well. Thank you so much to your service and to your unbelievable gift of generosity. I hope those of you in the Granite State... Um, we'll appreciate the then students there will for generations be indebted to you. Really wonderful. That's our I show. I like to think every time we talk about one of those shows that we have listeners like quietly calling their financial advisors being like, I want to start saving money uh, to yeah, I, my I, library I, I know, definitely. I yeah, definitely. <laughs> like Bob's a financial advisor and I'm just waiting for him to be like, I can't tell you who, but one of my clients uh, is leaving their estate to a library. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I hope it'll happen. All right. So that's our show. 
this week. Thanks so much to entertainment.com and PRH Audiobooks for sponsoring the show. Um, go to bookriotlive.com to get your ticket to Book Riot Live. It's uh, the second weekend in November, Saturday, Sunday. It's a book nerd's dream weekend. Uh, you'll see us, a lot of our friends, uh, coworkers, Amanda, Jen, all the people we've heard about on the Book Riot show coming up. Um, the, and uh, oh, choose a po- email, podcast at bookriot.com. Oh, quick follow-up, Milk and Honey. A lot oh, of feedback. Yes. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Emailed and tweeted at us. Uh, and the consensus seems to be we heard about it from a million different places, which is what happens when there's a book that sells this much. Mm-hmm. A lot of t- a specific Tumblr and YouTube shout outs, I would say. And uh, lots of several mentions, maybe not lots, but several of the fact that the head of Indigo in yeah. Canada and in the and Indigo and Chapters bookstores made it one of her picks, which gives it you know prominent placement. Somebody said they've been promoting that thing for months. Um, also, um, um, Angel Cruz, um, one of our book writer contributors on the back channel, said that she got a review copy from SNS Canada. So oh. Andrews McNeil does has U.S. rights, at least maybe some other territories, but some other people have rights. Um, so there's other promotions and things going there. So anyway, th- thank you so much for your feedback. It gives us, you know, hive mind and hive experience, I guess, more than anything of what's going on in the book world. All right, that's our show. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.